turn in your Bible this morning to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, as we seek a greater understanding of Christ above all from the book of Colossians, we come to a new section in our study this morning, in our worship of God, Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, which is going to explore for us and develop more fully the concept introduced last week of Christian maturity. Christian maturity. Paul says in the last two verses of chapter 1, verses 28 through 29, that he toiled and struggled with all of God's power. Why? In order to present, Paul says, everyone mature in Christ. But in order to pursue that, in order to pursue maturity in Jesus Christ, you have to have some idea of that, what that spiritual maturity looks like. And that's what I want you to consider this morning. What does true spiritual maturity look like as you're turning to Colossians chapter 2? What is it that makes you look at a Christian and think to yourself, wow, they are really mature? What goes through your mind? Some people might say that spiritual maturity looks like the ability to pray in a certain language, whether it be unknown tongues or the King James English in prayer. But Jesus said, beware of those who change their language, who change the way they speak in prayer, because it's all for empty show. That's in Matthew 6, 5 through 8. Prayer wordage has nothing to do with spiritual maturity. Others say that spiritual maturity looks like the ability to keep the law or to follow all these external rules and regulations, these standards and observances. But Jesus condemned those who tied their dill and mint and cumin, he says, and yet neglected the weightier matters of the law like justice, mercy, and faithfulness. For the kingdom of God, Romans 14, 17 through 18 says, is not a matter of what you eat or drink. It is a matter of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And whoever serves God in this way is acceptable to him. So this external observances has nothing to do with spiritual maturity either. Maybe you imagine spiritual maturity looks like the ability to recite Bible references and becoming a walking concordance. But scripture tells us that head knowledge alone puffs up, 1 Corinthians 8.1. So mere head knowledge has nothing to do with spiritual maturity And finally, perhaps you have the idea that true, mature Christians are marked by the ability to look serious all the time. But Scripture says the joy of the Lord is our strength. Nehemiah 8.10. So praise the Lord, a dour expression has nothing to do with spiritual maturity either. In fact, I would hope the closer you come to Jesus, the more you smile, not less. That his presence is joy forevermore, after all. So what does then true spiritual maturity look like? Ephesians 4.13 tells us simply. Ephesians 4.13 says that when pastors and teachers equip the saints to do the work of the ministry, the body of Christ builds themselves up to a mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So what does a true spiritual maturity look like? It looks like Jesus. To be truly mature is to be a Christian that thinks, acts, and loves just like Jesus thinks, acts, and loves. 
To be mature is to be like Christ. And it was towards this goal, Paul said, as a minister of Christ, that he toiled and struggled. He yearned to see those who were under his care and ministry to become mature, to become like Jesus. And Paul recognized that that spiritual growth and maturity only happened in the context of a church. When the body of Christ is functioning and living together properly. It's for this reason that Paul wrote the book of Colossians, and in particular, these very verses that are in front of us this morning. If we as a church desire every single individual that comes to this place to become mature in Christ, then there are some practical questions we as a church need to consider if we want to exalt Jesus in this place in the hearts and minds of his people. First question we need to ask ourselves is this. How does a Christ-exalting ministry encourage spiritual growth and maturity? A second question we need to ask is, what does this type of spiritual growth and maturity actually look like when it's taking place in a person's life? And then third, what will be the result? What does the body of Christ look like when they become spiritually mature in him who is their head? So that's what we're going to uncover this morning in Colossians 2, 1 through 5, we're going to see first the encouragements of spiritual maturity from verse 1 into the beginning of verse 2. In other words, what needs to be present in a church to encourage spiritual maturity in the life of believers? Second, we're going to examine the essence of spiritual maturity, which is from the end of verse 2 into verse 3. What does it look like when spiritual growth is taking place in someone's life and heart? And then finally, we're going to look at the effects of spiritual maturity in verse 4, in verse 5. What does it look like when a church becomes spiritually mature? So the encouragements, the essence, and the effects of true spiritual maturity. With that in mind, let's read Colossians chapter 2 this morning, starting at verse 1 on into verse 5. Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, For I want you to know... How great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and firmness of your faith in Christ. This is the word of God whose statutes we do not forget even in the dryness of sorrow. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word this morning. We thank you that it is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We thank you, Father, that as you have shown your Son to be preeminent in all things, that you have worked in our hearts to draw us to this body of Christ. And Father, we have that same heartbeat as a body to exalt Jesus to declare him to be preeminent, that he might rule over all of us in every area of our life. But Father, we know that that type of maturity does not just happen. We desire, Father, as a church to be the type of church that 
your people come to this place and they grow and they flourish and they strengthen for your honor and for your glory. And so, Father, I pray that this morning you would show us as a church what we need to have here in this place so that everyone who comes through these doors that gathers themselves to this body would never stay the same, but would always change and grow and be transformed from one image of glory into another as we grow more into the image of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you would teach us the path that we must go, and I pray, Father, that as your sheep, we would hear your voice and follow you today. Magnify yourself through the preaching of your word and through its reception and obedience this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul begins in verses 1 through 2 by underlining for us the encouragements of spiritual maturity. In other words, what needs to be present in a church to encourage spiritual growth? Well, the first encouragement in these verses towards spiritual maturity that a church must possess is first, faithful leaders. Faithful leaders. That's at the beginning of verse 1. Uh, that's from the beginning of verse 1 into the beginning of verse 2. Paul writes this, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged. Paul desired that those he was writing to would grow in their spiritual maturity. And so to encourage them, in that endeavor, Paul tells them here what he has been doing for them. He says, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. Paul says here that he was engaged in a great struggle for ministry on behalf of those in Colossae, on behalf of those in the sister church of Laodicea, on behalf of those of the third city there in the Lycus Valley, Hierapolis, and for, on behalf of all the other believers in that region of Turkey. And even though he had never seen them face to face, Paul tells them that he was struggling in ministry on their behalf. Now this seems a bit unusual at first glance when you think about it. How was Paul struggling for them? If he couldn't even see them face to face. If he wasn't even with them. We saw last week in verse 25 and 28 of chapter 1 that one of the ways Paul struggled to produce spiritual maturity in those under his care was through Christ-centered expositional teaching. We looked at that last week. That's really the first encouragement. If you want to think about it this way, it's the first encouragement for spiritual maturity a church must possess. Full learning. That's the first encouragement full learning. By using all of the wisdom available to us in God's Word, we seek to use all of Scripture to apply all of Christ to all of life. We looked at that last week. The first encouragement for spiritual maturity is full learning. As Colossians 1.25 says, to make the Word of God fully known. But other than that, other than through this letter, you can't do that with people you've never met, can you? So in what way was Paul struggling for their spiritual maturity? The answer is through prayer. That's the only other way that Paul at this time could struggle in ministry on their behalf. It was by struggling in prayer. 
Colossians 4.12 tells us that Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you. Always, listen to this, this is Colossians 4.12, always struggling on your behalf. Exact same word. How was he struggling on their behalf? In his prayers. Why? That you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. See, Epaphras, as a faithful pastor of the Colossian church, struggled in his prayers for the sake of his listeners and his flock's maturity. This is the one way you can still struggle in ministry for someone you can't even see. And as I was thinking about it this week, beloved, each one of us ought to be grabbing firmly a hold of this ministry of prayer in our church at this time. We live in a day and time where many of us cannot see each other when normally we could. Someone goes to the hospital today, what happens? You can't go see them. Someone's put in a nursing home, what happens? can't see them. Someone gets a positive test. What happens? You can't see them. Someone has a compromised immune system. What happens? You can't see them. And as a member of the body of Christ, it breaks your heart because you want to be there, but you can't. So how can we still struggle in ministry for one another? How can we still struggle in ministry for those we cannot even see? We can struggle, and we must struggle, ladies and gentlemen, in prayer. Faithful leaders who seek to bring up others to spiritual maturity will be leading the charge in that endeavor. He will be, as Acts 6, 4 says, devoted to the word of God in prayer. So Paul, as a faithful leader, toiled in teaching, and he perspired in prayer, you could put it that way. But notice, and I was greatly challenged by this this week, Paul did not keep his struggling on their behalf to himself, did he? I mean, he literally writes this letter, and he says, I want you to what? I want you to know how great of a struggle I have for you. I want you to know that I'm praying for you. I want you to know that I've got your back and that the prayer, that the winds of prayer are in your sails. I want you to know these things. I don't want you to be ignorant of how I am struggling on your behalf. I want you to know it. Why? Beginning of verse 2, so that your hearts may be what? Encouraged. Encouraged. Please listen to me, believer. The most important and the most encouraging ministry you will ever have in your lifetime is the ministry of praying for other people and letting them know that you have been praying for them. Letting them know. Here Paul was, think about it, in total isolation. Locked up in a home prison in Rome, and yet engaged in the most important and encouraging ministry a Christian can ever engage in. I thank God for the people that have struggled for me in prayer. There's nothing more encouraging than knowing that our ministries, our families, our children are all upheld by the gracious hand of God, because people are willing to struggle for us in their prayers. Believer, I urge you, 
pick just one fellow member of this church and commit to pray for them this week. I want you to do this. Write it down. Pick one fellow member of this church and commit to pray for them this week. And then, what I want to let you know is then let them know that you have been praying for them. It will be the most powerful and spiritually refreshing thing that that member will experience all week long over the next seven days. For they will come to know, as they come to know how you have struggled on their behalf, Paul says their hearts will be encouraged. And we can just look at that phrase and be like, oh, that's so sweet. My heart, my feelings are touched. That's not what Paul is saying here at all. This phrase is amazing when you think about it. Scripture describes the heart of a person as their, as their innermost self. The heart is the fulcrum of all your feelings. It is the touchstone of thoughts and actions. It is the source of all speech. It is the domain of every desire. And Paul says, when you pray for someone and you let them know that you've prayed for them, you have just touched their very heart. You have touched all their life in that one action. You have had a positive impact on their very being. I cannot think of any other ministry that comes that close to being that powerful than the powerful ministry of praying for someone and letting them know that you had prayed. That is why one of the most one of the greatest encouragements a believer can have towards spiritual maturity, next to the full learning of God's word, is faithful leadership. That's what Paul is demonstrating and exemplifying here in this passage. Leaders who teach their people the word of God and do more than that, they pray for them. They pray for them, who truly, as Acts 6-4, devote themselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. That's what Paul and Barnabas did, by the way, in Acts chapter 14, among the believers in Antioch and Iconium. And verse 22 tells us, By so doing, Paul and Barnabas strengthened the souls of the disciples and encouraged them to continue in the faith. So the first encouragement towards spiritual maturity that churches can and must give Christians is full learning, a rich teaching of the word of God. And the second encouragement towards spiritual maturity that churches must give Christians is faithful leaders who recognize the stewardship that they have received from God and who carry it out faithfully to teach the word of God, toil in teaching, and perspire in prayer. The third encouragement towards spiritual maturity that a church can give Christians is finally fervent love. Fervent love. To the end part of verse 2, Paul says this, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you. Why? That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love. So the third thing that encourages believers to grow in their spiritual maturity is a fervent love among the body of Christ. Godly love creates spiritual growth. It knits you together with other believers who are striving together towards greater maturity. As Paul says in Colossians 3.14, And above all these, put on love, which does what? It binds everything together in perfect harmony. 
When there is godly love among a fellowship of believers, believers are being knit together in a common goal of reaching spiritual maturity. Believers will not grow in Christ-likeness where they are not surrounded by loving believers who are encouraging them in that regard. That is why the John Wayne syndrome of American Christianity does not work. Believers are part of a body. They must be a part of a body to be encouraged and to mature and to grow. In fact, this phrase, being knit together in love, anticipates what Paul is going to say later in in verses 18 through 19 of this same chapter when he warns of those who are insisting on aestheticism and the worship of angels, who are going on in details about visions puffed up without reason by his own sensuous mind, and not, verse 19, holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. See, Paul is saying there that such a person who stops holding fast to Christ, who forsakes the centrality and preeminence of Jesus and his gospel for lesser things, Paul says that that person has lost his head. He's running wild, and he will not be the type of person who helps the body of Christ grow together in a united love. That's important because the third thing that encourages spiritual growth and maturity is fervent love. And we know this to be true when we think about the words and the verses of Scripture that talk about spiritual encouragement. The only thing that causes spiritual growth and maturity is a love that encourages one another daily as long as it's called today. A love that considers how to stir one another up into love and good works. A love that does not neglect meeting together but encourages one another and all the more as we see the day drawing near. Love motivates all of those actions. Why in the world would you ever reach out to another believer that you care nothing about? But where there is Christian love, there is spiritual encouragement towards maturity. Love motivates all those actions. Ephesians 4.15 teaches us that the motivation to speak the truth is what? Love. And according to Galatians 6.2, the motivation to bear one another's burdens as prayers is the law of Christ, which is love also. So fervent love is critical to encouraging spiritual growth and maturity in a local church. For if the community of God's people are not known for their love, they will not be known for anything else. Without love, you have nothing. Ministry dies where love dries up. So one of the ways a church encourages spiritual maturity is by living out fervent love. I want you to notice this morning that this presupposes something very important okay this is digging a little bit deeper this morning for all of you this presupposes the fact that people in your church congregation can actually love you in this encouraging and fervent way doesn't it and might i posit that many church congregations cannot show this type of love and encouragement to each other first peter 122 teaches us that the only ones who have the ability to show this type of fervent love that encourages spiritual maturity are those who have, listened to this, quote, had their souls purified for a sincere brotherly love by their obedience to the truth. 
See, in other words, the only people who can love you in a spiritually encouraging and maturing way are those who have had for themselves God's love poured into their hearts, as Romans 5, 5 says. So the presupposition behind what Paul is saying here is that you have to be in a fellowship of who? Believers for you to be spiritually encouraged. A believer will be encouraged to grow spiritually when he is in an environment of fervent love. A church can only show this type of fervent love if the fellowship is composed of genuine believers who know the love of God. Why do I belabor this point? I belabor this point because most churches in America are known for not having these three foundations that are necessary for encouraging spiritual growth. They don't teach expositionally. The word of God is not being made fully known. They do not pray together. The throne of grace is not being pursued. And they do not have a saved membership, if they have a membership at all. Most churches let anybody into the fellowship and anybody into positions of authority and influence. Well, how in the world are those people going to encourage you spiritually if they themselves are not spiritual? And so by abandoning the word of grace, the throne of grace, and the fellowship of grace, these churches in America have cut the legs out from under any ability to ever produce any type of spiritual maturity in the lives of any of the Christians under their care. And that's why I have no problem telling believers in churches like that, get out. Find a gospel-saturated, Christ-exalting ministry where the truth is fully taught, prayer is is fully practiced, and the body fully believes. Get out, because you as a believer were never designed to flourish alone. You cannot grow in isolation. You as a believer can only mature by living beneath full learning, by living beneath faithful leaders, by living beneath fervent love. These are the three encouragements towards spiritual maturity. These are the encouragements, full learning, faithful leaders, and fervent love. We'll have to pause here and uh, pick up with the passage in verse 2 starting next week as we examine the essence and the effects of spiritual maturity. As I conclude, though, I want to urge you in two primary ways from this passage. First, first, be thankful. I want to encourage you first here at Grace Chapel to be thankful. Many of us here in Grace Chapel have a rich heritage of other believers who have encouraged us on into spiritual maturity, who have helped you become who you are today. I want you to take a few moments and think of those people and picture them in your mind, the people who have invested in you spiritually. Some of them may be here right now in this room. Some of them, like Paul, might be far away, out of sight, unable to be seen. Some of them might be in heaven right now as I'm speaking. But wherever they are, if they've prayed for you, they've loved you, if they've shared God's word with you and encouraged you, they are an important part of who you are right now in Christ Jesus. I think we should all thank the Lord for their encouragement 
in our lives. And so as we're about to partake in communion, there's going to be a time of silence where we can confess our own sins to the Lord, but I think we should also take part in a time of thanksgiving for those who have encouraged us in Christ Jesus and made us who we are today by the grace of God. All of us know those who have encouraged us to spiritual maturity with their counsel, their prayers, and their love. You have not arrived at this place in your own strength. You have arrived at this place by the strength of God working in his people in your life. Be thankful. Be thankful. Second, be thankful for their, first be thankful for their encouragement. Second, be encouraging yourself. All right? So who those people were to you that you have just pictured in your mind, I want you to be, God wants you to be for someone else. Let their ministry of truth that they had with you become your ministry of truth that you have towards someone else in this body. Let their struggle in prayer that they had on your behalf become your struggle of prayer that you have on behalf of someone else here. Let their fervent love that they demonstrated to you become your fervent love that you demonstrate towards someone else. And let their ministry of encouragement to you become your ministry of encouragement towards others. For they have invested their lives in you by the grace of God so that you would turn right around and invest that same grace into the lives of those around you. Let their ministry become yours that we may present everyone mature in Christ, encouraged in heart, and knit together in love. This is the word of God from Colossians chapter 2 verses 1 through 2 which I now commit to your further study and your faithful obedience to that end as the men come forward for communion this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the difference that Jesus Christ makes. Father, we thank you that you take sinners who are dead in their trespasses and sins. And you make them alive towards you in Christ Jesus. That you give those who were once foolish, alienated, hostile in mind, you make them your sons and daughters in love with you. You take those who were cut off and you make them fountains of blessing. You take those who were barren and you make them spiritually full and overflowing. Father, we've acknowledged this morning that all of us in this room have experienced that. There have been those that have built your word, have built your grace and your truth and a knowledge of your son, Jesus Christ, into our lives. We are eternally grateful. Father, we recognize that that ministry must go on. Help us to be faithful. Help us to declare your word to others. Help us to pray for others and let them know we are praying for them. And help us to love those who need to be loved so that they would become more mature in Christ Jesus. 
for your honor and for your glory. We pray, make a work within our hearts that Christ would be exalted in this place, in this way. We ask this in Jesus' name.